You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. Before we take a look at our Scripture today, I'd like to invite you to stop by our website, which is DesireJesus.com, and on our website you'll find links to our bookstore, links to both of our podcasts, our blog, and a link where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. Each Tuesday, I send out a newsletter with a word of encouragement and some content to help you in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to receive that each week in your inbox, it's free. All you need to do is just sign up on the website, desirejesus.com. You'll see the newsletter tab. Just click it, and we'll be happy to add you to the email list. Now let's take a look at today's scripture. This morning's the last day we're going to be looking at this idea of being healthy, and we've been talking about this for just a group of weeks here, just briefly, uh, talking about what spiritual health looks like, and what emotional health, and relational health, and physical health, what Scripture teaches us about those things, and what the Lord wants to do in our lives in regard to those areas of health. And this morning we're looking at this idea of financial health, and specifically we're asking the question, how can I become financially healthy without worshiping money? Now, think about the era in which we live in right now. It's a very unique time, particularly when you look at it from the big, uh, like kind of overarching perspective of history. Uh, We live in a time right now, for those in the United States, we live in a time when, when our nation is one of the wealthiest nations that this earth has ever, ever seen, ever, right? Throughout the course of human history. Historically speaking, we have a very high standard of living. Sometimes I think about this, again, last week I spent camping. Well, the camping that I did last week wouldn't be too different from the day-to-day life of people just 100, 120 years ago. Uh, the conveniences that we have now, even in, in just the most basic home, would rival the conveniences that royalty had a very short time ago. We have a very high standard of living. And uh, when you look around us, even those that we would say are the poorest among us, some of them even have a higher standard of living than those who lived in poverty even just a generation earlier. But even with our higher standard of living and even with our cultural riches, when you talk to people, many of us feel like we're still struggling financially. So have you noticed that kind of dichotomy, that difference? High standard of living, and yet we still feel like we're struggling financially. Financial struggles are both a symptom and an effect. They could be the symptom of the choices that we make, or they could be the effect of the choices that others impose on us. Our financial health can impact things like the quality of our sleep, I don't know if you've ever had a season of life where your sleep was impacted by your finances, but I can remember one particular season in my life where uh, I had a hard time going to sleep at night because I was concerned about our financial state, and it would impact the quality of my sleep. Uh, Our financial health can impact the relationship we have with our spouse. Our financial health can impact the amount of time we have available to spend with our family. But regardless of whatever our present-day situation looks like in regard to finances, when you look at Scripture, there's several principles that are brought up in Scripture that I think can help us understand how the Lord wants us to manage 
finances. And in fact, when you look at some of the subjects that come up quite frequently in Scripture, this is one of them. And when I think about even my own preaching, I think, all right, this isn't a subject that I tend to preach about a lot. And I think sometimes probably pastors are a little bit adverse to preaching about a subject like this because of there being so many charlatans that seem like that's all they speak about. And so you have Bible teaching pastors that somehow, you know, sometimes we don't want to focus on this all that much. But then when you look at how much Scripture actually speaks about this, this is one of those subjects that actually comes up quite a lot in Scripture. And when you look at what Scripture tells us, it shows us principles about how the Lord wants us to manage our finances. But let me say this even before we look at some of these principles from God's Word. While I believe that the Lord wants us all to make wise financial choices, I don't believe He wants us all to be financially rich. Now, why would I say that? Why would I say, yes, the Lord wants us to make financial choices that are wise, but He doesn't necessarily want us all to be financially rich. I believe that for some of us, that would be too much of a temptation. I think for, and the Lord knows what's in our heart, right? The Lord knows what we can handle. He's not going to put something in front of me or in front of you that's going to tempt us to go in a direction that He doesn't want us to go in. So I think because for some, it might become an idol that they would be tempted to worship instead of the Lord, the Lord does them the favor of not allowing that to become an option in their day-to-day life. But just the same, that doesn't mean we shouldn't look to improve our financial health. So how can we become financially healthy without worshiping money? That's what we're going to look at as we look at five brief principles that Scripture brings up. But before we do, let me have a word word of prayer for us. Lord, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to come together this morning and to spend time together worshiping you, to spend time together in your word, thinking about things and meditating on concepts that your word brings up that we know you desire that these be things that we grow from. And we know, Lord, that you want us to use all aspects of our day-to-day lives to honor you. And so, Lord, we pray that that would be part of what we would take from our look at what you say about financial health from your word. So Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be able to carve out time like this. We thank you for the privilege to be able to even just talk about a subject like this that we probably don't talk about enough. And we pray, Lord, that as we look at these concepts, that we as individuals and as families and as a church body would be blessed in understanding these concepts. We commit this time to you now, Lord, and we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I think that Scripture teaches us in regard to financial health is this. When it comes to finances, we're we're called to honor God with our wealth. We're called to honor God with our wealth. Look with with me, if you would, at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. There it says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, if it's been a while since you've read through the book of Proverbs, let me encourage you to take a fresh look at the book. I know some people that, because the book of Proverbs is carved up into 31 chapters, uh, they, they tend to read a proverb, you know, one chapter a day throughout the course of a month as an easy way to work their way through the book of Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, we're given great counsel on how to navigate life, but not just navigate life, to navigate life in such a way that we learn to honor the Lord as we're navigating our day-to-day life on this earth. 
And one piece of very wise counsel that we're given very early in the book of Proverbs, again, Proverbs chapter 3, one piece of advice we're given there is this idea of honoring the Lord with our wealth. So what does it look like to honor the Lord with our wealth? What does that mean? Well, I think the answer to that question is multifaceted, and I'll suggest three ways that I think that we can honor the Lord with our wealth, but this isn't an exhaustive list. There are more things we can add to this, but these are three of the most obvious ways that I think we can honor the Lord with our wealth. First, I think when it comes to acknowledging, or when it, when it comes to honoring the Lord with our wealth, I think we're being called to acknowledge that He is more valuable to us than earthly riches. So if we're going to honor the Lord with, the, with our wealth, I think we need to, to start with that acknowledgement that, Lord, you are more valuable to me than earthly riches. Earthly riches look nice. Earthly riches can certainly be a blessing. Earthly riches can sometimes even be a temptation. But, Lord, you are more valuable to me than anything this earth can offer. And so when we talk about this idea of honoring God with our wealth, I think it starts there with saying, Lord, you're more valuable than anything I may possess briefly on this earth. Secondly, I think when we're talking about this idea of honoring the Lord with our wealth, I think we should prayerfully consider how He wants us to use the wealth He entrusts to us. So whatever the wealth is that the Lord entrusts to you, whether you feel like it's a little or a lot, prayerfully consider um, how He would want you to use it. Actually pray about the finances that He entrusts to your care and find out from Him how He wants you to use it. And thirdly, I think it's His desire that His people invest heavily in the redemptive work that He's doing here on this earth. So when it comes to honoring the Lord with our wealth, I think those are three principles that we should start with as kind of a backdrop for what this means. Now, our understanding of these verses, as we're looking at Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, where, again, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I think our understanding of these verses becomes quite obvious when we look at our personal budgets. Now, when you think of your personal budget for just a second, recognize this, the Lord knows that you have needs. The Lord knows that, that we need shelter. The Lord knows that we need food. The Lord knows that that many of us need some form of transportation to be able to get to our area of employment. But how much of what the Lord entrusts to us is invested in our amusement when compared to what we're investing in His kingdom? Do you ever think about that? It's something I've felt convicted about from time to time. How much of what the Lord entrusts to us is invested in our amusement as opposed to his kingdom. So I can't speak for others, but I, I do want to say this. At the end of my life, I, I don't want to discover that I invested more in Comcast, Netflix, and Verizon than I did in the kingdom of God. And in our culture that is so blessed financially, I think it's ironic that sometimes even we as Christians are more invested in our own amusement than we're invested in the kingdom of God. Now, I'll share something very personal, and it kind of took me a while to get here, uh, but this is where we're at now, and it was a process in my life to get to this spot. But the Lord's convinced me that even though there may be lean seasons now and then, He will take care of my needs. Has He convinced you of that yet? 
Have you ever gone through a lean season where you're like, all right, Lord, this is very, very lean. This is very lean. Well, (laughs) the longer we know the Lord, the more we have the opportunity to see what He does. And the more we see what He does, it's almost like He takes us from this spot where, I mean, He wants us to walk by faith with Him. But after a while, that faith that we have in Him, it, it in some areas, it almost just tends to become sight based on his track record. And I've watched his track record in this area so many times that, that as we've gone through seasons that have been particularly lean, I've started to trust that the Lord is going to take care of our needs, whatever they may be. So having come to believe this is true, through experience, through testing the Lord, you could even say, The first thing our family now budgets, when we're thinking of our budget and when we're planning how we're going to spend what the Lord entrusts to us, the first thing our family now budgets is what we give to the Lord's work. So we believe in tithing our income, which means we give 10% of what we earn as the first fruits of our produce. We also try and keep our budget lean. We try to live without debt. We try to save methodically. We try to give generously, and we try and invest so our money grows. And I'm grateful to be able to tell you in all sincerity that the Lord has honored what He speaks in these verses in our lives. And I'll I'll share how that's worked out even in recent years. So serving in ministry, I remember when I first decided that I wanted to serve as a pastor, and I felt like this is what the Lord was calling me to do. And one of the cautions many people gave me before I entered into the ministry related to my income. They would tell me things like, you know, like you're not really going to get ahead financially if you decide to serve in ministry, right? Or you know that, that serving in ministry is something that means you're, you're pretty much going to be poor your entire life. There are all sorts of things that I would hear in relation to that, and I remember thinking, I don't care. Like, whatever it is, it is. This is what God's called me to do. And so there have been times serving in ministry where I've had to go without a paycheck, sometimes for a month, sometimes even for two months. And as you can imagine, you know, I don't imagine that too many of us in this room feel like that would be a comfortable experience to go through, a month or two without a paycheck. But let me show you, let me explain to you what happened to us in the midst of that. When we went through that, we decided, all right, we're going to still, we're still going to do our best to honor the Lord with what He entrusts to us, and we actually still tithed as if we were getting paid. And what I noticed happen in the midst of all of that was out of the blue, I would be offered some sort of temporary work or a speaking opportunity or something I had written, a book or something that I had up for sale on Amazon. would all of a sudden spike in sales. And I would look at that and I was like, all right, this timing is very curious. Right when I have a financial need, all of a sudden, the finances are coming, just not through the area that I would consider the normal area. And so seeing the, and it happened more than once, and it would keep happening. So every time there was kind of a pause in our normal financial routine, we would watch as the Lord would make it up in some other area. And I don't think that's accidental. You know, after seeing that happen so many times, I'm like, all right, the timing of this is way too specific for this to be an accident. And, and the fact that this kept happening over and over when we would go through those lean seasons. I think that what it was, was that the Lord was trying to convince our hearts 
that He could be trusted to meet our needs and that we can honor Him with our finances regardless of whatever our current situation happened to be. So that was something that the Lord taught us as a principle. So I wanted to share that today at the outset as we're looking at this because it's something we become deeply convinced of. Something else that Scripture teaches us in regard to personal finances, I guess I could have put this up on the screen for us. I missed that one. But the second thing is this. Don't be afraid of hard work. Don't be afraid of hard work. Let me show you what it tells us in Proverbs 13, 11. It says this, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Let me share with you three brief examples of people that I've interacted with. So I know a man who, by choice, stopped working a few years ago. All he does is watch TV and mess around online. That's literally it. He has a family, but he doesn't care for his children. And he doesn't contribute to their family's finances. Instead, this is what he decided to do. He decided to set up an online campaign to try and raise money to pay his bills. And after several weeks of running that online campaign, he was able to raise a total of zero dollars and zero cents. Our church pays $20 a year to register our domain name. So once a year we have to pay to register our domain name for the church website. Cost us $20 a year. Earlier this week we we received an invoice in the mail for $228 uh, in relation to our domain name. And I looked at it for a second. I was like, wait a second. This doesn't look right. Turns out it was fake. Now, I know how we get billed for our domain name, and I know it only costs us $20 a year, so I'm like, what's this $228 invoice? So I did a little investigating into it to see what it was, and it was a company that's trying to scam nonprofits who might just look at that quickly and say, wow, the price of this has really gone up. Pay the bill. You pay the bill, and it goes to nothing. Now, you technically, you could read that in the fine print if you look at it, so they covered themselves legally, but what they're trying to do is scam nonprofits into thinking they've registered their domain name through them for $228, and the money goes to nothing. So they're trying to, they're, they're trying to uh, collect hundreds and thousands of dollars from nonprofits for nothing. On the other hand, I know of several teenagers who have spent their summer working three different jobs. They've paid cash for their cars, they give 10% of what they earn, they save 70% of what they earn, and they use the remaining 20% for their daily expenses. And their savings accounts continue to grow, and they're developing a strong work ethic that's going to benefit them the rest of their lives. And then you look at what the Scripture tells us in Proverbs 13, 11, it says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Wealth gained hastily doesn't stick around. It falls right between our fingers like picking up a handful of sand. But those who are not afraid to work, those who aren't adverse to putting away a little bit at a time, discover that their hard work wasn't a waste, and their savings begin to multiply. And again, when you go through the book of Proverbs, I just gave you two quick samples from the book of Proverbs. When you go throughout the book of Proverbs, it has Lots and lots and lots of wise counsel in regard to our personal finances. And why do you suppose the Lord would include that kind of information in that portion of Scripture? Well, again, He doesn't want us to worship money. He wants us to honor Him with it, and He wants us to bless our families with it, and He wants us to build His kingdom with it. 
But now there's some additional principles that Scripture talks about that we should go a little bit deeper beyond the surface. Those are some practical thoughts here. But let's go a little bit deeper now and take a look at what it tells us in 1 Timothy 6. And in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10, there's a principle here that we would do well to adopt as a pattern for our lives. And that's this. Learn to be content. By the way, even before I read this, think about every time you've ever whined. (laughs) Is anyone here a whiner? Don't admit it, right? Don't admit it. You're off the hook. Don't admit it. Some of you are like, no, but my kids are, right? Do they whine? We've all whined though, right? Every one of us. What are we doing when we're whining? We're showing one little area or maybe even a big area where we're struggling to be content. Why are we being, why are we struggling to be content? You know, why is that such a struggle? Well, it's not the natural inclination of your heart or my heart to be content. That is not our natural bent. If it was our natural bent, the Lord wouldn't have had to instruct us to be content or to learn to be content. But look at what we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting with verse 6. There it says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Fascinating portion of Scripture, isn't it? I read something uh, a little while back from Our Daily Bread. I don't know if you've ever read Our Daily Bread. It's a small devotional that's put out monthly or or quarterly, I guess it is. But it said this. It said, in the 5th century, a, a man named Arsenius determined to live a holy life. So he abandoned the con- the conforms of Egypt, or excuse me. So he abandoned the conforms of Egyptian society to follow an austere lifestyle in the desert. Yet whenever he visited the great city of Alexandria, he spent time wandering through its bazaars. And when he was asked why, he explained that his heart rejoiced at the sight of all the things he didn't need. His heart rejoiced at the sight of all the things he didn't need. In that same article, they also talked about the fact that in 1976, if you went into a grocery store, you would typically find a great variety of items, about 9,000 different items in a grocery store at that time in 1976. Do you know how much you would find in a grocery store presently? About 30,000 different items. So what's changed Wouldn't you think that we struggle to be content, that we always seem to be looking for that one more? I was talking to somebody just the other day who just bought a car a few months ago. And you know what he was telling me he was looking at? Car ads. And I was like, why are you looking at vehicle ads? And he said, I don't know. He's like, but I don't know. Sometimes I think about maybe upgrading to something that has maybe more of the bells and whistles. I was like, you just bought a car six months ago. And then I said, all right. I actually said this, this is the honest truth. I said, okay, you've been really stressed the past few months. Don't you suppose that you're looking at car ads and thinking about buying a car because you're looking for kind of an emotional rush to maybe make you feel better since you've been stressed for the past few months? And he paused for a second. He's like, you know what? I think you're right. (laughs) 
It's like, I think that's exactly why. I was like, yeah, I think that's why. You just kind of want to feel better in a, in a temporary way. But when you look at what this scripture tells us from 1 Timothy 6, it teaches us that godliness with contentment is great gain. So if we've received new life through faith in Jesus Christ, the truth is we already have everything we need. You have new life through faith in Jesus Christ, you already have everything you truly need. We've been made a new creation in, in Christ. We've been made holy in His sight. We can have hearts that are at rest knowing that we have Christ. He is our true, lasting, and ultimate source of satisfaction. And there's nothing in this world that can satisfy our hearts like He can. So possessions, careers, spouses, money, none of that can satisfy the heart like He can. There will always be a part of us that is dissatisfied until we acknowledge that this world cannot fill the void in our hearts that only Christ can fill. So if you're trying to use money to fill that void, if you're trying to use possessions to fill that void, they will leave you feeling internally and spiritually bankrupt. Only Christ can fill the void that's in our hearts. In Him we find true contentment. That's why we're encouraged not to love money. I love what it tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verse 10. There it says this, Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Think about that statement for a second. Those who love money will never have enough. That makes sense, doesn't it? If our true love is money, what happens? Well, you could always get one more dollar. And money can't satisfy the desires of our heart. But if we think it can, and we keep trying to add one more dollar to it, and one more dollar to it, and one more dollar to it, what ends up happening? We're on a cycle that has no end. Those who love money will never have enough. It doesn't bring true happiness. It doesn't bring true contentment. True contentment is only found through Jesus Christ. Money is a useful tool, but it's a terrible God. And if you spend your life running after money or allowing yourself to become convinced that it can bring you peace, what you'll end up doing is hurting yourself and hurting your family in the end. The love of money can actually cause us to forget that Christ is to be the primary object of our affection. And if we think money can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart, we'll search for money and we'll try and get more and more of it. But Scripture teaches us to be content in Christ Ultimately, He is the one who satisfies the longings of our hearts. Something else that Scripture teaches us, this is still in 1 Timothy 6, 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19, but there it teaches us to practice generosity. Look what it tells us in verse 17 and following. It says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. You ever meet somebody who's haughty? How long did you hang out with them? How close of a friendship did you develop with them? Probably very minimal, right? if at all. But it says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life." love that portion of Scripture. It, again, it teaches us to practice generosity. Have you ever been the beneficiary of somebody's generosity? 
I remember when my children were little, I was invited to um, just spend some time with some of my friends from college, and one of the things I knew we were going to be doing was we were going to be going to a restaurant. And I remember at the time feeling a little bit stressed about going to this restaurant, but I went with them anyway. And uh, while we were at the restaurant, I was feeling stressed because I thought, you know what, I, I have enough to pay my bill, but I don't really feel like I have extra money to be doing something like this. And I was feeling stressed about, by paying my bill, what I was going to feel stressed about having to pay by way of obligations. And so throughout the course of the meal, I remember thinking about it the whole time, trying to be very careful about what I got, and very selective, but also wanting to enjoy the time together with my friends. And I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that our finances were so tight that this one meal at not a very opulent restaurant was truly stressing me out. And then at the very end of the meal, one of my friends at the meal said, hey guys, I just, I, I'm just going to grab the check if everybody's okay with that. I'd like to pay for everybody just as a gift. And I remember in that moment feeling so relieved and feeling so grateful and also feeling like I'd like to tell him someday how much this meant to me, but I couldn't tell him then. <laughs> I was like, I don't, you know, no one ever wants to admit that things are really tight when they're tight. It's easier like you know, five years down the road where you could say, hey, five years ago, things were really tight. I didn't really want to tell anybody then. But I remember being so relieved and so blessed by his act of generosity. And I, 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 I just, I, it was palpable. I could feel it in that moment as he blessed us around that table. Scripture teaches us to practice generosity. Why? Why are we encouraged to be generous people? Well, think about the generosity that's been shown to us in Jesus Christ. As Christ has been generous to us, we're encouraged to be generous toward one another. So if the Lord has blessed you with the financial means to be able to bless others, don't hesitate to do so. If you have the means to do that, bless others with those finances. And again, don't do so for your own glory or for your own desire to be acknowledged. Do so to honor the Lord. Do so for Christ's glory. And as much as possible, remain anonymous. Don't even let people know that you did it. If you, can, if you can avoid being known that you did it, just do it for the Lord's glory to bless somebody else. It's easier for us to be generous with earthly riches when our hopes are not set on them. If your hopes are not set on earthly riches, it's easier to be generous with them. If our true hope is in Christ, everything else feels secondary in importance. If we're content in Christ, we can remain content, whether we're wealthy or not. And keep in mind the way that the wealthy people are described in this portion of Scripture. They're called the rich in this present age. Did anyone catch that as we read that? The rich in this present age. I think it's interesting to see the rich described that way because it's also indicating that those who are presently rich may very well not be those who are rich in the age to come. And what I mean by that is this, I'm convinced that there are many people who are presently poor by worldly standards who are quite rich in faith, and their faith is going to be amply rewarded in Christ's coming kingdom. So Scripture encourages us to be people who practice generosity. One other thing that I think is important to bring up as we look at Scripture and as we finish up our look at this idea of what it means to be financially healthy, we're talking primarily about heart issues here today. But the last thing is this, understand where your real treasure is. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. 
In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let's ask a couple quick questions as we finish up here this morning. What is the goal of our lives? Or what is the goal of your life? What's the goal? What are you aiming for? What's the plan here? Is it to accumulate more and more? Or are we able to see beyond our current circumstances into the promised eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ that He has assured His followers is coming? At present, I don't know if you've ever seen some of the the lists of some of these things, but at present, the richest people on this earth, so those that are on that list that I think Forbes puts out yearly, the richest people on this earth have net worths in the tens of billions of dollars. Do you think your day-to-day life would be a little bit different if uh, your net worth was in the tens of billions of dollars? It's hard to say, isn't it? But those that are on that list, their net worth in the tens of billions of dollars, but I recently heard of one of those people on that list who got caught cheating on his wife. So his billions are a little bit less than they were when that was printed at the start of the year. She gets a good chunk, and so do the lawyers. They all get a a good chunk. So I don't know where he's going to end up on the list for next year. And the point, you know, when I look at that, I think, all right, well, what's the difference? Because in the end... If your whole life was, was summarized with the idea of accumulating earthly riches, you've now devoted your entire being to collect something that doesn't last. It's almost like, you know, I was, I was seeing, we were camping last week, and you see kids out there camping, and they're blowing bubbles. You know, they're blowing bubbles. They've got like these bubble kits and these real fun bubble wands and all this. And I looked at that and I was like, oh, that looks like it's fun. Probably messy because of the soapy bubbles and all that stuff, but it looks like they're fun. So it's almost like saying, you know what I collect? I collect bubbles. I collect bubbles. You know, I just see them floating in the air and I said, look at that one, the, the striations of, of how the oils and the soaps go through. It's just so beautiful. This is the most beautiful bubble. I'm going to collect this one and I'm going to collect this one. I'm going to collect this one. It's like collecting something that doesn't last, but yet convincing yourself that it will. Now, we're called to be wise financial stewards, but again, the Scripture is very clear that our real lasting treasure is not in what we accumulate this side of heaven. Our real treasure is Christ Himself. Our lasting treasure is heavenly, not earthly. And for that reason, Christ ex- He encourages us to examine our hearts to see what we prize most. So do we prize Christ Or are we still convinced that this world's temporary riches are what we truly need to be content or truly need to be happy? What do we desire more, an eternity with Christ or a few decades of earthly accumulation? I believe that the Lord wants us to have a healthy perspective toward wealth. He teaches us to honor Him with it. He teaches us to be careful stewards of it. I think if you're you're somebody that Uh, makes very wise and intentional choices with your wealth, you're very likely going to be used of the Lord to bless your family, bless your grandkids, and probably have a big part 
in funding the work that he does here on this earth. But he also makes it clear that our hearts will never find true contentment through earthly riches. They are a tool not to be our God. Christ is our sufficiency. Christ is where our hearts find lasting satisfaction. And Christ is the source of our greatest joy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to look at your word and to be able to think about these things today and to be able to look at just a small selection of some of the things that your word teaches us about earthly riches. Lord, we know that we're called to be careful stewards of what you entrust to us. And Lord, it's clear that there's nothing wrong with earning money, and it's clear that there's nothing wrong with investing money. It's also clear when we look at your word that there's nothing wrong with, with being wealthy by earthly standards. Yet at the same time, you teach us that wealth is a tool and it's not to be worshipped. That we can be content whether we're going through a season of plenty or whether we're going through a season where we feel like things are very, very lean. And you've also taught us that your desire is that we learn to trust you whether we're in a season of plenty or whether we're in a season that's leaner. You want us to trust you no matter what. So Lord, we pray that by your grace that you'd help us to do that. We pray that we would be men and women that learn to put you first in all things, that we would honor you above anything you entrust to us, that we would treat what you entrust to us as a temporary stewardship, and that we would ultimately seek to glorify you with it. Lord, thank you for the wisdom that you give to us from your word. Lord, when we read through the book of Proverbs, or when we read through the book of 1 Timothy, or as we looked uh, today at, at uh, the Gospel of Matthew as well, Lord, as we look at these things, we're mindful of the fact that you've given us good counsel. But we're also mindful of the fact that we live in the midst of a culture that has opulence, and we've been blessed with so many things. And the message that's frequently being drilled into our minds and into our hearts is that we'll only find contentment once we have that one more thing, whatever that one more thing is, a bigger this or more of that. And yet when we look at the deeper heart principles that your word teaches us, we see that true contentment is only found through a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. So Father, we pray that we would experience that kind of contentment. That we could turn on the news and see that the stock market's up and be content. Then we could turn on the news the next day and see that the stock market's down and be content. That we could look at our 401k or look at our IRA or look at our bank account. And whether there's a little in there or whether there's a lot in there, that we, can be con that we could just be content in you. Knowing that you are our sufficiency. So Lord, help us to be wise with what you entrust to us, but help us to honor you in the midst of all of this. And we're grateful, Lord, for the privilege to be able to look at this idea of what it means to be financially healthy as you've presented it in your word. And we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we'd invite you to stop by our website, which is DesireJesus.com, and if you're not on our newsletter list, be sure to click the link to sign up right there on the front page of the website. 
But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week, and we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. Hello, I'm Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we are the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. What we believe is that addiction is not a surprise to God. That's right. We discuss addiction from a biblical worldview and how true freedom comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolute freedom from addiction. The secular worldview of once an addict, always an addict is just not true. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, subscribe to Life After Addiction at lifeaudio.com.